Well, welcome to you all, our captain's meeting. We're having people who have graduated out of McGill as captains and moved on into the Montreal Canadiens. So effectively it's going from legacy to legacy, the oldest club in the hockey world to the most successful club in the hockey world. We have on the call, uh, Patrick Delisle-Oud, who was captain 215 and 217. Greetings, Patrick. We've got hey, we have Shauna Denis, captain from 2006 to 2008, and captain the first Martlett uh, National Championship team, Daniel Jacobs, 24 to 25. You were guarding the blue line, Long right? Time ago. And as well for ask the coach section at the end of it, we've got Liam Ellis, who's our coach. What we want to do is talk about the why, the what, and the how of your experience as as McGillians. You're all very well uh, established uh, McGillians and and hockey players. Shauna, thank you so much for joining in. You're the first Martlet that we've had on our call, and I'm absolutely delighted to be able to include you on this. I'm and delighted to be here. This is fun. Yeah, it absolutely should be. And Patrick, uh, we we saw each other, I do believe, in the summertime with the with the uh, coaches program that we had on there. Yeah, that's right. That was on. And Dan, as you say, the last time I saw you, you were wearing Redmond boxer shorts. Exactly. Okay, so let's start with the why. All right, yeah, I can start with the, the why for me. I, I mean, it's a little bit harder to um, explain why, I guess. It, like The real reason is it just felt right when I came uh, for my on-campus tour, but I'm coming from a small town. Stitzville. Yeah, Stitzville, Ontario. It's, it's part of Ottawa, but it's about 30 minutes from downtown. So I had done a few campus visits and some felt a bit too big. Uh, there was a few that felt a bit small. So I just wanted somewhere where I felt like I could grow a little bit. Uh, and McGill just seemed like it had a little bit of everything. It had, I wanted to learn French. I wanted something with excellent academics. I wanted a strong hockey program, but more, I just wanted to be able to reach my potential somewhere. And McGill felt right. Like when I met Peter Smith, who was the coach for a long time at McGill, he made me feel comfortable. The school just felt small enough, but in a big enough city that it just felt like kind of a limitless potential. Nice. And what did you choose to get into? I actually started in arts. I, I was in arts my first year, but I found um, as I was doing my work, uh, a lot of the people I was in res with were in business and I was a lot more interested in what they were studying than what I was studying. So my second year, I switched over to the faculty of management and loved it. I did uh, marketing and international business at McGill. And then I did a graduate certificate in public relations for my fifth year. Very nice. Okay. Why'd you choose McGill? Dan, go ahead. Go, Dan. I didn't pick McGill, actually. I was supposed to go to Ottawa in criminology. I wanted to be a cop. I was excited, got accepted. But then uh, when it came down to hockey, coming from a, from a CJEP team, uh, the coach wasn't so excited about my physical condition being a, a really tall and skinny defenseman. So, so he said to me, you'll go play a junior A somewhere and then you'll come to Ottawa. And I was thinking, no, I'm, I'm ready. I want to play university. I want to, I want to start my, uh, my university. I want, I want to start studying, and I want to play hockey at the same time. And then Marty, okay, Mo called me. I would say the, the timing was perfect. Call me, and the chat with Marty obviously was was amazing. Brought me in in Montreal, visited the school, uh, just like Shauna said, and it just felt perfect. We had um, Dar uh, Mathieu Darsh back then, Gord, Dave Ball that that were down, and uh, we went for lunch, and everything everything was just perfect. And uh, Marty was just the, the nicest person, the nicest coach I met, and took the time and, and said to me, we'll work with you. So I could I could play as a 20 years old, a 20 year old uh, at university. The plan changed drastically when I met Marty, and uh, for the best. Very nice, very nice. And I can believe it too, yeah. So I came in uh, as, a, as a phys ed student. Okay. And, um, I would say I totally panicked after uh, half a semester because I couldn't speak English. That was a full, I, I was just trying to survive. Uh, so I decided to switch to kinesiology because I wouldn't have to present anymore. I would still stay in the, in the, in the, in the, you know, in the, in the sports environment and you know, yeah. uh, everything about the body, how it worked. And, that was, um, what were you in? It, what were you in at first? Phys ed. So uh, we needed to present every second week. Uh, you know, present a game, present the plan, uh, and I just thought that was every single time. Every single time, it was a full panic attack. So I said to myself, you know what? We'll switch to Kim and and give give yourself some time to learn. Give yourself some time to learn, and your English is pretty darn good now. So. Uh... You, whether you Better. think you made the right choice or not, you made the right choice with respect to your English. 
Okay, what Dan, about when you? When did you decide? Can I ask a quick question? Do Go you ahead. mind if I jump in? Dan, you said you wanted to be a police officer. So when you came to McGill, did you just uh, decide you didn't want to do that anymore? Or was that still in your plan? It was always in the back of my mind. And, and to this day, too, that that's something. All my uncles were cops. There's, you know, there's it runs in the family. So it's definitely something I would have liked to do. But then I would say that hockey took over, uh, coaching took over with all the experiences that I, that I lived through, uh, you know, playing in uh, playing in Europe, the, the influence of and Marty and and uh, the chance that Kelly uh, Kelly gave me. Uh, but it's 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 always something, you know. Let's say, uh, and I always joke about it. That let's say because uh, you know it's a tough world within in coaching. But I wouldn't mind eventually turning into a cop. I wouldn't mind that. Very interesting shades of uh, well the reversal in terms of career. If you ever happen to do that, uh, if you guys recall a fellow by the name of Pat Burns. Uh, he came from the police and uh, went into hockey coaching. So uh, and he, had quite, he had quite a few really interesting stories too. Patrick, what about you? I, was, I started like, I think back then it was uh, Kelly and Dan, the coaches. So the first day, like he sent a package at, in Rimouski that year. And like, I look at the package, I'm 19 years old and I'm like, I don't speak English. I have no clue how to say bonjour, hi. And like, it's like even the same thing, it's like related. So I'm, forget about it the next following year i'm traded to moncton then i learned a little bit of english like here and there kind of like figured out just a little bit just enough so i decided to uh well i like i talked with dan and like he comes pick me up in gatineau for a road trip to yeah. McGill. so we're playing we're wildcats moncton wildcats playing gatineau he's he picked me up in his like in the miguel van we get lost we get completely lost coming back to Montreal. <laughs> we don't know where we're going. This day, this day, I still don't know the road we use. I still don't know the road we use, Patty. And I've oh, been no clue. many times. I have no idea. No clue. And I'm going to Ottawa very often. So I have no clue how we got to Montreal. Uh, and you dropped me off at 456. Oh, no. so you didn't live at 456 too, did you? I did live at 456. So. That now place you know, has a legacy. Like, it's amazing. It's still standing. Exactly. <laughs> then, like I, the following day, Dan just made me visit the full campus. I had to uh, lunch with Kelly. Kelly started explaining me the PK with like salt and pepper, which is completely hilarious. But I love it. They're just so passionate about it. So when I get back to Moncton, uh, I talk with one of my good friend, one of my best friend, GP Mathieu, which ended up being again my roommate the following years and Liam's roommate as well. Uh, and we just decided to go for it, go to Miguel, try it. It was way better in, in English than me, so it was a lot less nervous. But we decided to uh, go for Miguel, go play together for the team and study as well together. That's an amazing story. You've all got amazing stories. Well, Liam, you're in there. You better share a little bit there too. I know you're you're sort of holding off as a coach, but uh, you're too involved in this. Give us the why. Why, why you chose, chose Miguel? Miguel? Yeah was very interested in pursuing my my master's degree and more education after completing my undergrad and uh, my main focus was getting into the coaching stream. I was passing through Montreal and decided to pop by campus and had slipped a note under Kelly Nobes's door. Uh, I had first met Nobesy when he recruited me at 19 to come to Laurier and that season I was going to go play for him at Laurier. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, actually, I got traded my overage season and found a place to play and continue my junior hockey career. And then I guess in a nutshell, we, we reconnected and uh, he connected me with Dr. Gordon Bloom in the sports psych department. And I came, saw the campus, got toured around by him and, and Dave Urquhart. And uh, the fit was just really good. And you could tell, like PDH said, just how passionate these individuals were about coaching and the coaching stream and it wasn't something I had seen firsthand at the U sports level and that really excited me and I kind of knew right away this was going to be a great fit. Very nice. It's amazing how many former captains you all have referred to who actually ended up recruiting you as well and then coaching coaching you as well. Uh, brings me back to you. So all these these fellows who played for the Red Men at that time hockey was a key factor for coming to McGill and Sean but Shauna you said you didn't mention hockey at the outset 
and yet what you what you did at McGill was quite illustrious in terms of your career. How much of how much of a decision factor was it that you're going into the McGill program? Well, huge. I mean, I don't want to downplay that I came to play hockey. I, I mean, I remember talking to uh, one of the academic advisors at the management program, and she was like, "Well, you know, you're here to go to school, not to play <laughs> hockey." Yeah, sure. But uh, it was it was definitely a huge one. I mean, all the schools I had looked at, I was looking more at the hockey program and the fit there. And part of what I liked about um, being recruited at McGill was I wasn't being sold the bill of goods. Like the, there was a few schools where you would hear, you know, if you come here, you'll be on the first line, you'll get power play minutes. Like if I'm getting power play minutes in my first year, I don't know if that's really what I want. I don't really know if there's a whole lot of room to grow. So the the team was great. I mean, we had. Kim St. Pierre, who in my first yeah. year, she actually played for the Redmen at the time. I think she, she played a couple of games. I'm not really sure how it worked, but she came and played with us for nationals. So getting to play with her, the program was very much on the rise. I think they had won a silver medal at nationals a couple of years prior and uh, the recruiting class was strong. So for sure, the, the hockey was a huge part of it. And especially coming from Stittsville, I think I maybe knew one person on campus before I arrived. So something where I thought the team and the culture were going to fit well because that's basically your family when you arrive on campus and it's going to be your entire social circle um, probably for five years but at least at the very beginning um, that was a huge part of it for me yeah and what what were you doing in hockey before you came Uh, I was playing in Ottawa there's uh, the National Capital Competitive Program the Ottawa hockey is pretty strong I mean it's not near Toronto so we would play every second or third weekend we'd go out to Toronto and play there um, you'd play in kind of like showcase sort of games and stuff like that. It's a bit different, I guess, than than how the boys have in terms of scouting. But you'd go to uh, over to Toronto and they'd have prospect tournaments and they'd come out in all the NCAA schools and the CIS schools. At the time, the CIS schools would come and check you out and you'd have your grades. And basically, if you had over 90, all the uh, academically strong schools would come and talk to you. So w- whether it's uh, south of the border or the McGills and Toronto's and, and those schools would come and, and speak to you. So was that a decision for you? You clearly had to have been over 90. Yeah, 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 for sure. I uh, I was, and there was a few schools in the States that I was looking at too, but uh, I mean, I was part of the double cohort, which was in, I'm from Ontario, so I did OAC, which is grade 13. Um, so we graduated with a double class that year. So getting into any school was a bit trickier that season. But yeah, I mean, McGill, I think it was like a 92 average you had to have was the cutoff to get in that year. But I loved that McGill had high standards. I thought it was yeah. great to be coming somewhere where I didn't have to justify the choice of like, oh, I'm going to this school, but like in this really strong program, it was just, I go to McGill and I don't have to say any more than that. You just, it's a respected school, it's a respected program. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. A uh, little bit different uh, from the guys because you were not eligible to go to the down to the States after having played junior major, right? I was not, I don't know about that, but no, I was they not uh, eligible. And it, to be honest, it was not really in the plan either. I was supposed to go. I, I got a I got a scholarship, but then decided to go play a few games in in junior. Okay, yeah, because you were in Sejep, so you could have gone. Yeah, yeah. that was the plan. Because yeah. we played games back then, we would go and play uh, little tournaments against yeah. junior A teams, and 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 then, you know, most of us the plan would be would have been to cross the border and go play university hockey. Most of my friends back then, that's what they've done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now, so you decided for McGill. Uh, now it's what you decide you're going to achieve there. Some of you, it sounded like some of you got into the faculty you wanted to get into, but also a couple of you made, made a switch there for various reasons. So what goals did you have both academically and athletically as you came into McGill? Uh, what goals did you set and how did you do with them? Well, like the other two, uh, I started I switched as well. So I started in physical education. Couldn't get in. Couldn't get in for my uh, low grade in, in CGF <laughs> during my major junior career. It was not exceptional. <laughs> but uh, so I started in physical education, uh, transfer after the first year in kinesiology, exactly like Dan, actually. Just because, like, a little similar, I was not a big fan of presentation. I was a lot, like, I was a lot bigger fan of, like, knowing how the body works how the human minds work and like discovering how you can like improve performance and improve like future hockey player. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the main goal at the end of the day. But my perspective at the beginning was more to start with a three year degree and get out of there. Cause I'm, uh-huh. I'm not from, from Montreal and I wanted to go back home. And I uh, totally fall in love with the program. Again, Dan's were like convinced me to start maybe looking at doing a, doing a graduate program. 
and I ended up doing a master in kinesiology. And I always say, like, I, I came here for hockey, and I stay for school and hockey and for family of Miguel. Like, it, like I came yeah. here only for hockey, and I stay for the family, the Miguel family, and the school as well. Uh, very neat. Uh, I stayed there from the Gill family as well as the academia. Yeah, very nice. Dan? I, I want to tip my hat to, to Pat. And, and there's a lot of players like, uh, uh, I miss recruiting so much. That's the one thing I miss uh, about coaching at McGill, the recruiting part and, and, and you know, talking back about, you know, the, the DH story. It's, an, it's something that I'm going to remember, remember for the, the rest of my life and the, the relationship that you built uh, way before uh, you even start the season. A lot of guys uh, coming from from junior, their grades were not up to part for their their main uh, their, their main choice. So they would have to start somewhere else and the work that they needed to put in and, and they needed to buy in as well. Because most of them were thinking, if I'm not going in my uh, my first choice, I'm never going to make it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm I'm going to lose one year. But to come in the program, work your your uh, work your ass off in order to have the, the right grades and transfer to another program. I wanted to tip my hat to DH and, and all the other guys that have done it because it was a tough sale. A lot of kids said, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else because I can get in whichever program I yeah. wanted to get in. Now, so part of that recruiting factor, when you talk academia, did you talk to uh, professors or did you talk to the hockey coaches about uh, the possibility of getting, firstly getting in and then switching? We had uh, Caroline James that would help help us, but we also knew, like we knew as coaches, it was our job to know uh, the standard requirements. Uh, so we, we could tell the Pat, for example, you you want to go in, you want to go in uh, finance, uh, but you need to start in phys ed because you can get in this is what you're going to need and then you're going to be able to transfer and bring all the credits with you so it, it, it that, that was our job to know but caroline jane would, would help us along the way in order to uh, to steer the, 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 the student athlete in the right direction yeah, yeah. Uh, kelly kelly and dan were amazing they knew everything and also the other players the other players were a big key yeah. like i feel like there was so much knowledge exchange after years of like when you were coming in and you wanted to do something, well, the second year, the third year, or the fourth year, or the fifth year knew how to do it. So it was a lot easier. I think it was probably making like Dan and Kelly's job and now Liam's job a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah, learning the study habits within the group environment and the culture and having those strong study habits as a team is, is critical to its success, especially academically. And I know between the Martlets and uh, the Redmen, now Redbirds, that uh, that's a critical piece to the continued success of the program is how guys pass down knowledge uh, throughout their programs. And I know that that's a reason why I've had success, but also why all three of you guys have had success too. Yeah, over to you, Shauna. I completely agree with that. I think it's the same for both programs where, you know, in your first year, you don't have to learn everything the hard way. So whether it's when you're coming in as a, as a recruit, you have questions obviously, and you know, you're on a recruiting trip, so people will help you out with that. But even just, there was a girl who was, I think in her, third year when I started who was trying to get into med school and it was like okay well if you want to get involved if you want to say yes to new opportunities like here's some of the uh, other stuff that you can do on campus if there's if you want to volunteer here's some things that you can do there um, if you're in management everyone's taken the classes before you you know so like even things as simple as how you can get some course notes and stuff like that it, it's stuff that you don't maybe have if you're just on campus as a regular student that I think is special for for student athletes and you know, Dan gave a little shout out there to, to PDH, but I think for both of you, being Francophones coming to a school like McGill, I find that extremely impressive, especially when you talk about how little or limited English you spoke when you came. I mean, McGill is no joke. It's a hard school and, and they certainly don't make anything easy on anybody for any reason. So like I always say, it's hard to get in, it's hard to get out. So the fact that you guys came in, I mean, we, we used to talk a lot about comfort zones uh, with the Marlets anyway, about how, you know, obviously that's how you grow. And I think coming in, as francophones and pushing yourselves like you're both excellent in english now and look where you are so anyways i think kudos to you for for taking that leap absolutely absolutely the and you got you just started into the next part you, we talked about what you want to achieve a little bit more and if you want to add on more to that in terms of what you want to achieve by going to mcgill not just in ice hockey but also ice hockey uh, where you were at with the program and what you would like to to do with respect to that. Uh, then also about your academics. What did you want to achieve there? Because you did switch and then some of you, I don't, or maybe all of you, went on to at least one 
one postgrad degree too. So let's start with the hockey. When you came into the program, where was the program at? What did you want to achieve and how did you think you were going to get there? Yeah. Um, the program was strong. I mean, we were, uh, I mean, we went to nationals all five of my years. So the program was pretty strong, but um, you know, we would, I'd say we're probably like a 750 team, but it was a it was a great program on the rise. Obviously, we had good culture of goaltending, uh, and the recruiting class was good. Um, I would say, we, coming into McGill as an 18 year old, I mean, I can tell you all the goals that I had now. Now that I'm 36, but like the reality is, when I came in at 18, it was just you know learn what you can, hopefully win a national championship, graduate and, and get a job that you love. And I mean. I guess looking back, I did those things, but I don't think that my goals as a first year were really any different than that. I actually broke my collarbone my first year and, you know, got to watch from the stands a little bit, which I also thought was helpful for me to kind of like have some perspective as a first year to, to be able to watch things and kind of see the team dynamics, which I find fascinating. Like I used to love the sports psychology aspect of it. So I loved how like, the, the team dynamics worked and um, how you could grow a culture. like. Our culture was strong, but I think throughout my years there, there was more and more emphasis put on that, which to me, no matter what kind of a team you're playing for, if you're playing competitive sports, I think the culture of your team is probably maybe second to talent, but you know, 1A, 1B, that, that that's how a team is going to be successful. So I think your goals change too, like each season and, and probably every year with your life, your, your goals shift a little bit and you have to be agile with that. But it was more like small goals here and there. But I mean, ultimately, I'm sure for any of us, for hockey, it was to win a national championship. Well, let's, we'll ask them. I just want to add on a little, uh, little uh, connection connection here, and that is that uh, Marty Raymond had the same issue you had his first year. I had him as a player his first year, and he also broke his collarbone and had to miss the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, and half the season. Yeah. Okay, guys, what'd you come in wanting to achieve hockey-wise? So when we when I came in, uh, it was after the national championship actually that Dan yeah. and Kelly won in 2012. Yeah. So we were I think like eight or nine recruits, and we all won like we all wow. won a national championship. We were like we I think we worked hard during like our three or four years all together for me five, and we didn't achieve that. But at the end of the day, I think we all grew as a human. Like I mean like like just participating in like the McGill program. And I think that was probably like the second biggest goal after winning a national championship. And I made friends forever. Like that will last forever. And my my best one too, they came like team with me. And and what I want to achieve at school, to be honest, a little like Shauna, I, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I got there. And just like got convinced by uh, Dan and Kelly to get to the school so I was like a little bit experiencing everything I had no clue like uh, I was not understanding anything in school I had in class I was super scared because like my best friend was now Google Translate <laughs> but just but just by being with like such like great people like in my year like I'm just thinking about like uh, Vincent Bernard Jean-Philippe Mathieu Maximilien Sierra that became like all like they all became like great great well person but also like amazing people in their domain they just they were just pushing you to get better at school and like push yourself to like learn which was an amazing environment when you think about it. Exactly like Shana said, I had no clue what I wanted to achieve when I got there, except getting a degree. But like every year you set yourself a little goal and you participate a little bit more in like your school life and not just in your hockey life and you develop as a person. And at the end of the day, well, you find a, you find a way to get a job and a job that you like. Very nice. Dan? It's a good question because I'm going back thinking a bit like Shana said, like I'm, I'm 40 now and I'm just thinking, how clueless I was when I first came. You know, what I wanted to accomplish school-wise, I just wanted to survive. I remember sitting in the back of the class for about a year and a half with my dictionary because back then, buddy, we didn't have, we had a dial-up internet. So I would sit, I would sit in the back of the class and they didn't have any recordings. And I, I, I remember I would come out of the class thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? I have no idea. I would have to go back and reread all the notes, rewrite all the notes. And it was, it was strictly survival. Thank God we could write everything in French. And uh, mm. so uh, survival to start until, and then you realize you have good buddies helping you out. I remember Chad Blundy and company, Joël Bergeron, they would, you know, they would help you out, teach you. I would do the same thing in French and just, you know, you, you realize good people you have around. Marty uh, would help you out. Everybody, uh, when we say family, that's exactly what comes to my mind. And, and, and I owe them tons because there, there, there's many instances where I would, I would just say, you know, I'm out. 
I'm out, it's not gonna work. So school-wise, I think it was survival until you, you realize, geez, I can't, I, I can do that, you know, I, I'm gonna be all right. And then uh, good grades help and then good teachers, really good, uh, really good teachers. And uh, so I, I don't think I came in with a with a goal. It was it was survival when it came to school. And hockey-wise, you come from a CJEP program, won three championship, kind of King Kong attitude. And just you realize there's some good hockey players and, and you don't play so much. So, uh, you know, it was a good learning, humbling experience to come to McGill, uh, really good coaching. The, the leadership aspect as well today, you know, Murray taught me a lot, the human side of playing and taking taking time with your teammates. But hockey-wise back then, you know, it was, uh, we didn't have any junior player, junior major player. It was it was junior A, junior B. Uh, the mix was about 50-50 English and French, which I really, uh, I really enjoyed. But I don't remember having set plans. It was just to, yeah, to nice. survive. Yeah. And, 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 and to become a better person, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, uh, <clears throat> I had a favorite colleague of mine who taught in uh, social psychology at McGill at the time. And I used to bring him in to talk to my guys as often as I could get him. And he, he loved hockey, thank goodness. His name was Dr. Don Taylor. And he used to say, I love it when my master's students come in and say, Don, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And he said, that's fantastic. It's exactly where you should be. He says, keep on learning, keep on blowing your mind, as he would call it. As long as you remain passionate and you're into it, you'll find your way. And lo and behold, that's what most of you, it looks like you've done. And the family experience that you're saying, I mean, it, that warms my heart on a couple of things, uh, going back to my era, uh, where that's what we were developing and evolving. And when you hear the stories of the guys who, <laughs> four, five, six, uh, they're the they're the key ones uh, in terms of that part. But you start hearing the stories and the fact that they've been together for for like four decades already, and they meet every single year with families. It's unbelievably strong to to see what that does for them. But I'll give you another side of it too. Not, this is not about me, but it's an interesting share. We had the first francophone Canadian in our uh, our captain in our uh, era. Uh, and it was an exception to have French-speaking uh, young men come into our program, firstly because of the grades and secondly because of, of the French uh, that they would not have been exposed, uh, the English they would not have been exposed to, and thirdly because there are so many French-speaking French universities that played good level hockey. And I'm pretty sure you must re know a coach that you had by the name of Stéphane Fortin. Yeah, yeah he was my project. His favorite words for me were words I can't repeat on this, <laughs> but he ended up having a heck of a good uh, career in teaching. He stayed in phys ed and in coaching both because we helped him get through uh, by me being tough on him every single day and every single week uh, and mentoring him forcibly <laughs> to get himself through so he wouldn't get put on probation. And lo and behold, look at what he's given back to the program. So, uh, and you guys are all doing the same thing. It's all intertwined. It's so nice to see and so nice to hear. But I would be remiss for carrying on and I'm enthralled by what you're saying. You're all playing. So you went from McGill and, and the legacy, quite frankly, is you guys. You're not just taking it on, you're carrying it on and passing it on. Uh, for McGill, but now you're doing the same thing with another sports club that is that is go will go down in infamy with the success that they've had over the years and the cultural impact that has had not just in the sport but in the country and in the province and in the city. And we, I would be remiss if I didn't get some of your uh, thoughts and and experiences with respect to your careers that you've all had there. So let's move on to that and do the same thing. What got you into the Montreal Canadiens? Why did you choose them? What do you want to achieve while you're there with them? Okay, and how are you going about achieving it? Who's been with them the longest? I'm Shauna, I think you've been with them the longest. It's been almost a decade, eh? Or more. It's been more than a decade. It's yeah. been my, uh, my 13th season. With the okay, Canadians. that's really cool. Yeah, I've been there for a while, so I've seen some, some ups and downs. Uh, how I got there, actually, I would say McGill was really my pipeline into it. We uh, we won the national championship in 2008, and we were invited to a game uh, so the Canadians could honor us on the scoreboard. So I got a chance then. A few executives came down before just to the director's lounge to meet with us. So I met Bob Janey and uh, the VP of Communications. And the VP of Marketing at the time was Ray Lalone, who actually played football at, uh, at McGill, I think, in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so I had a chance to meet with him and followed up with him at some point. I got in there for an interview and loved what Ray had to say. Like, the, I mean, he speaks like a, 
like a sports coach, you know, like the way he'll give you, you know, he's like, you know, there's, there's not room for everyone to be on the power play, but, you know, star performers are going to get rewarded. You know, there's minutes if you earn them, that kind of thing. I mean, he told me in that interview, it's going to feel like you're working two jobs and getting paid for one, and, which is crazy. I left there and I'm like, you know, anyone who can tell me that and I still want to work at that company, like I'm all in. I had, I had also um, applied to work for the senators and I got both jobs within two days of each other. And I mean, how do you turn down the Canadians? I mean, you're coming from, I actually don't think the Canadians and McGill are that dissimilar. I think they, they have a lot more in common than not. I mean, they're both rooted in history and tradition. They're both like legacy franchises. Uh, they're both very controversy averse, I would say. But I, I think both of them, you're just so proud to to be a part of something like that. And and what I love about both of both McGill and the Canadians is being able to just contribute uh, even just a small amount of history to, to an organization that has so much history and tradition, I think is special. So getting to be part of you know, in 13 years, we've done Jersey retirements. We were uh, part of the Canadian centennial celebrations, the moments with Jean Beliveau's passing and, and like what that meant for the community. It's a place that people care, you know, like some days when things aren't going well, obviously people talk about the team and they talk about the team, whether it's going well or not. But why would you want to work somewhere where people don't care what you're doing? So to me, that's the, that's the most fun part of working there is people are paying attention. It matters in people's lives. I mean, like what we do is what people are looking at on their lunch breaks or when their boss isn't looking, you know, they're going to look up stats. They're going to check out like, you know, what Dan's doing in Laval. They're going to look up prospects and, and debate each other about like which prospects are coming up through the ranks and like Pat's getting the guys ready to go. And, you know, his job is to get guys ready for things that people are watching for fun. And, and you know, it's, it's part of that emotional connection. And I love to the history here is it's like a generational thing where people pass it down and you watch the games together as a family. It's not just like a fleeting thing that, you know, during a lockout, you stop caring and like people care all the time. Mm. And yet you've got some major challenges uh, facing you. Uh, with the era of hockey being so competitive nowadays, to be a dynasty, as of course this organization has been, the expectation of having that next Stanley Cup just around the corner is something that you need to contend with. The opportunity to have local heroes on the team and or in the management is not that easy in comparison to when and how they developed their their legends back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Do you go, Are you confronted with that? And if you are, how do you manage that? The the main thing in Laval is is the fine line between development and performance, where you want to make sure everybody develops as fast as possible because their goal, like, uh, and that's the one thing that Joel said from the start, where it's nobody's dream to play in Laval, and it shouldn't be your dream as a player to be out. Oh, geez, I'm so, you know, I'm so looking forward to be in Laval again, and and, and that's the one the one thing you want to create where we want the kid to come in. And, and, and want to play for the abs. And our job is to make sure that they get from A to B as fast as possible. But at the same time, you still want to win hockey. And that's the one thing you realize about the population, the passion behind it. And and, and you go in the street or, you know, everybody's talking about it, which is pretty cool. It means it, it means that people care. The day that they, they're going to stop talking about uh, about what you do then, you know, it means that they, they don't really care anymore. So, that, that, you know, it brings pressure, but at the same time, it's, it's positive pressure. But you know, it's it's that fine line, to be honest, between uh, developing, uh, taking the time to develop, and making sure that we win hockey games because it because it's part of that development process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Patrick? Oh, uh, I agree with Dan. It's like he has a like completely different job with Laval, but it is the fine line between development and competition. And when we get to my job, which is like getting players ready, as Shauna said, like the main goal is to get a player ready to play the following day and to win at the end of the day. Like we all enter our job and I'm sure I, could, I can talk to everybody, even Shauna in marketing, because we're competitor. We want to win. We want to win at the end of the day. And we start, I start, well, I started like working in that domain because I wanted to win at the end of the championship. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's the main goal. And the fine line between development and performance, like Dan said, it is a fine line and it's hard to deal with because you have a different objective with a guy who's 18 years old compared to a 33, a 33 years old player. And you have to deal different with him, which is normal because they're two different human. They're two, they're at two different places in their life and they're at two different body. They have two different mind and you get to adjust. That's where the challenge is for me. Mm, that must be difficult. I don't like the word difficult. <laughs> I, I prefer, I prefer challenging. Challenging. I prefer cha challenging. Yeah, I, I was actually reading a book and saying that like when a training is difficult, 
it's not a good sign in the training is challenging you're at the right place so how do you go about challenging them to 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 manage their bodies well enough to get beyond any injuries that they've got fatigue that they've got and also to maintain the level of fitness that they need to have well it's a it's a very question and first we have a full team it's not a one-man show it's a full team and the team i'm including coaches i'm including laval coaches every like everybody in our hockey staff is part of that team and from there we're gathering a lot of objective data that's going to help us prepare them and we're gathering a lot of subjective data as well and from there we're trying to make the best decision in each of her single case good stuff good we're stuff. far from the the the, the classic uh, squats and uh, bench press attitude that we had back in the days like they're uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to see them to see them and what they base their decisions on like there's a lot of there's a lot of work behind it what are the differences that you see it's a lot more complex and the time that they've put everything in you know it's it's an every guy is different like pat said and they mm -hmm. take the time to tailor a program or the rehabilitation is going to be different where you know that's not something we would have seen back in the days we didn't have the we didn't have the the, the manpower behind it anyways but what they do is is, is you know it's, second to done it's great like yeah it is it is very interesting when you think about it like i'm sure shana and liam is the same thing everything is individualized you want to individualize everything but at the end of the day to win you need to work as a team so it's a lot of hard balance between like how can you help the player as much as you can individually and bring it into a like a team environment to win as a team mm -hmm. so it's a very fine line very nice so favorite stories let's start with favorite mcgill stories dig back in and give us some of your most favorite recollections that you had they can be fun they can be enjoyable they can also be uh your favorite ones because of that emotion that they evoked i'm, I'm gonna say uh, there, there's two of them and uh, it's not even a story but the 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 fact that we could go my first year we ended up going to germany and holland as a group and uh my last year we went to france uh, as a team and played some games and visited and um, brought us much closer together when we talk about you know i, I never tried never took the plane it was my first time as a 20 years old and and and, and the, the the fact that you know you open up to a, a brand new world that that was amazing and the connection we made there it was even stronger but the the, the, the chance to travel as a team to me was you know it's it, it's, it, it was a blessing it was a definite blessing and and i'm hoping uh, for uh, I know it's a lot of work for coaches, you know the organization, but it, but uh, you know it, to this day it's the best souvenirs that I have. That's definitely something that we want to make sure we bring back experience-wise. I think having the opportunity to go away as a hockey team and create the memories that I'm sure that you have from Germany and Holland are uh, something that stick with you forever. I'm curious if you have anything that comes to mind in particular from one of your trips that you could share with us. Yeah, that's the sharing part that is harder to think, uh, to think about. <laughs> but you know, no, it's it's it, every, everything about it, you know, taking the plane and, and, and connecting to not only because you come in, the, you come in the rink, you do connect in, in some ways, but having the time to connect and sit down and share a meal and not after a game where you need to leave with the bus. You share a meal, you have time, you sit in the hotel room with, with Steph Fortin, for example, and then it's not about the game, it's about him and his life and having time to ask questions, taking the time to, uh, you know, to uh, to meet the, the coaches. We had Gavin Ross back then, that was a, you know, a huge contributor to the program and, and, and meeting Gavin, I would have never had a chance to talk to him that much, but, you know, creating those, uh, those relationships, and I, I think it was deeper it was much deeper than uh, when we came back and to me it was great to take the time very nice great shares shana yeah i mean obviously winning nationals was was great that was a moment that stands out but that would never be if you asked me what my best memories are yeah. of playing for mcgill it's not that actually it's the time just even in the dressing room like before or after practice just hanging out like we did i'm sure our dressing room dynamics were a little bit different but still kind of the same i think the execution is different but the process is probably the same where like you know girls are like hanging out or dancing or making up games or whatever on the bus you know we weren't just sitting there quietly watching movies like the girls would come up with like funny activities to do and, and just kind of like being together and you know you have five years where 
we, we had cell phones, but it wasn't like you have them now where everyone's on their phone on social media. Like you were just together. And even if you could, you couldn't have your, your cell phone in the dressing room. So it was just like a time where everyone was in it. You were together, you were talking. I mean, the, the structure that we had too was, you know, it wasn't very cliquey at all, which I think is, is a big deal. You know, like we had the way the dressing room would be is like a French player, English player, whatever, so that you didn't get like little mm -hmm. tiny pockets of people talking. It was everybody kind of talking with everyone. And to me, that's, that's what the coolest part of uh, playing the go was to me. It was just the, the time we got to spend together. Nice, the people. Yeah. Shauna, Shauna let's say, uh, let's say you remove, like you already removed, what is the thing that you miss the most from playing hockey? Honestly, it's the it's the people. I don't necessarily. I mean, I still play hockey. At, you know what? Actually, so yes, the the people. But it's the competitiveness. Like I am pathologically competitive, and so like playing playing garage league hockey is tough for me. It's it's a very binary. So like, I'm either like gonna just like kind of zip around out there. But early on, when I was playing beer league hockey, I was like blocking shots still, and someone was like maybe maybe pull back a little uh, on that. But it's like something mattering you know like it, it's competing and, and like going kind of going all out and everything else what, what about you dan what about i, I want to know because i'm gonna we can see where i'm driving this <laughs> you may think the most except the game i don't miss i don't miss the game to be honest i don't even miss playing i i i found in coaching it's not the you know you play you're physically tired uh, when you when you're coaching there's a bit of, of that that tiredness but it's that mental fatigue and, and I can actually project everything through my players to my defensemen you know and and, and and I'm as tired as a I, I don't miss the game itself to be you know I'm on the ice every day I, I get to teach uh, and then after the game I'm, I'm dead tired and we're already looking at the at, at the next night so I would be lying if, if I would say that I'm, I, I miss playing so do you miss anything from, I miss the traveling from there part. I miss the traveling part. part of playing and you know the the, the the traveling part the visiting the the, the being with the boys uh, you know that I'm always gonna miss but I also find it in my work so you know I'm to me it's, I never really I, I, I never really could miss it because I, I went from playing to coaching and I yeah. really found myself being really comfortable in that in that role what about you Pat where are you going with this? <laughs> well, it's the same. Like I miss the competitiveness, but like what I miss the most is the time in the room with the boys. Yeah. It's totally the time in the room with the boys. <laughs> Spending time there, like Shauna said, like there was no cell phone basically. It was just chatting, like talking, talking shop about hockey, talking about like school, what's going on. Like how many times Liam and I stay in the room basically like hours, but we're living basically three minutes walk from the rink. We're just chatting about stuff and they at the end like eating our dinner on the on the couch, like maybe 9.30 and the practice ends up like at 6. It's just like spending time with your friend back then. That was great. And not a care in the world as well. Like that was the oh. fun part. You could sit there, nothing mattered at that time other than just being in the present with your friends, catching up, talking about whatever the hot topic was. Exactly. Very nice. Yeah. Great stories. They go way back to to, uh, to my era. We, we actually started the European trips back then. Every second year we would hold one. And if you ask the guys, they'll tell you exactly what you're you're saying themselves. Plus, because of course then there is no social media. So <laughs> I, I, I and I think there's a statute of limitations that we can uh, invoke, <laughs> which you guys can't yet. <laughs> so the stories can come out. Yeah, but it's great to hear. And it's great to hear that uh, what you remember, by and large, it's about the people. It's about the people that you're with and uh, and about the passion that you have uh, with them, for them, and for what you do together. Yeah, very, very nice. What questions, you started it, Patrick, so I'm going to open it up. What questions do you have for each other? Any other ones? For each other, do you mean like Liam and, uh, or you mean like No, not, not Liam yet. We're going to put him on the hot seat just after this, but for Shauna and for Dan, you started it going a little bit. You, you, got, uh, you asked a couple questions, but what other ones have you got? With respect to, I've, yeah. I've Go got one for you guys. Obviously, Dan being a coach in, the, in Laval and Pat, you know, obviously work with the coaching staff pretty closely. What is the biggest thing you've learned from one of the coaches in the organization that you apply in your day-to-day -day life? I learned so many things. Like, uh, and, and, and I, I did an interview recently and they, uh, you know, they were asking me, uh, uh, you know, uh, influences along the way. And, and, and it, 
it was crystal clear where Martin, and I remember Martin back in the days, there was no video sessions because it was VHS or beta or whatever. You, you needed to press play and then rewind and fast forward. So how much work was it? So it was more about Marty, the teaching and bringing everybody together and the story you would create before games where when I started coaching with, with Nobzi, we had access to all that technology and the, the, the preparation, be, uh, you know, the, the, the Nobzi was really he had that routine and we stuck with it and we we're so prepared. So the, the tactical aspect of, 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 of the game, I really developed it there. And Marty was more of a, uh, you know, the, 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 the people's guy. And then with Joel, it's, it's that, that, that passion and that drive and, you know, the, all the experiences that he, that he, uh, that he lived through is, is playing days that he's bringing along every single day. So I was really fortunate to meet uh, different type of people that influenced me along the way. So, you know, every day I'm using stuff. I'm using stuff from people that I, that I met. So, you know, I'm a bit of a thief and, and slowly developing and obviously slowly developing what I what I want to do and, 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 and making sure I stay who I am. But uh, no, I've been really fortunate. It's not really one thing or one person. It's it's a, a whole lot of people that helped me, helped me along the way. Um, I might say that I think Dan touched the point very briefly. And it was the same thing for him and Kelly, and I think it kind of uh, kind of helped foster my belief in this. It's like to work in that domain, you need to be passionate. Passionate. Like when I see like the coaches getting up, like they're getting there super early, staying there super late. When I'm talking about drills uh, for conditioning with Luke Richardson, he's like, he's gonna bring his board and he's gonna be drawing, and we're gonna be exchanging on what we can do and how we can help this guy better. And he, let's say, we're gonna sometime we're gonna jump on this at the same time, and like, how can we make things better? He, they're so passionate, and it was the same thing back then with Kelly and Dan, and Chris LaPearl and uh, Dave Ricard. They were. For, and Liam is the same, so passionate about the game that it drives it drives you. You don't even like they're driving you by being so passionate. Back to you, Shana. I mean, for me, from from Peter was that it's not what you say that matters; it's what you do, and that was a, a big thing that got stressed to us. And, and part of it, I mean, he lived that. And any coach, and, and Liam, I'm sure this is the case for you, even when you guys aren't playing. That the the hours that you have to put in, and like the effort and the just the mental capacity that you have to put in to be a, a great coach is crazy to me. It, it's so much work, but, but seeing that, I think like Peter would never ask a person to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And that's something that really stuck with me in terms of um, being a leader. And the other thing was um, that it's not about you, it's about the group. So, like there was a lot of stuff that we did that was explained that like this might not necessarily be the best thing for you or the thing that you particularly want, but like, will this contribute to the team's success? So that's something that, you know, I think there's a lot of things from sports that even, you know, with the Canadians, you have the business side and the hockey side, which are basically just two sides of the same coin. Um, but I think sports are still applicable in the business world as well. I think like all of those like team dynamics and the, the work that you put in, time management, prioritizing, like all those things still apply. And, and I think like a lot of that stuff um, that I learned at McGill are still coming into my day-to-day -day with the Canadians. Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now you've got an opportunity to put Liam, who's been very patient listening to you, contributing here and there, but now you got a chance to uh, put him on the hot seat. <laughs> my question for you is how you're keeping the boys together and kind of creating that team bonding when mm. obviously you can't be together. Like what are your, and I know you have a, a sports like background, so I'm sure you've given this quite a bit of thought. So what's your strategy going into the year? Yeah, great question, neighbor. Uh, much appreciated. That's probably the most difficult hurdle for us right now uh, is just that sense of belonging and togetherness because we can't be there physically in person. So for us trying to work around that, we've been actually having Zoom meetings twice a week and we're involving our alumni and uh, we've been lucky enough to have a, a few alumni on for some question and answer sessions and uh, just bringing the group together through their own experiences. And the guys have found that super, super important. And right now, in terms of working on individual plans, like we've sort of talked about and how important that is, trying to meet those individual needs is, in, is one thing of importance. So for our first year student athletes, it's making sure they're continued to be integrated within the group. And for our graduating guys, which we have a large sample of, I think we have 10 guys 
potentially moving on, uh, depending if they decide to return or not, a lot of them will enter the workforce or pro hockey. So bringing on alumni with those backgrounds and providing them some skills and insight into that transition is one thing in particular that we're focusing on while bringing the group together. Thanks, Liam. Liam, I have a question for you. Sports site, coaching, it goes hand in hand, but how, what's the balance? Where's the balance where you don't want to, you know, you don't want to fall into uh, too much, too much uh, of a PowerPoint presentation when you talk to guys, or you know, how do you manage? How do you? Uh, um, I don't know if I phrase it right, but uh, because you're always going to use a sports side, but you know, sometimes you, you you be careful not not to fall in the trap of of, of always using it because guys kind of oh, so how do you manage all that? That's that's a really good question. I I and I try to be aware, as aware as I can of that through my own reflections after conversations with players. For, for me personally, I think it's uh, just showing my athletes that I care and listening. And that's probably the biggest sports like skill that I like to apply is when I have a guy in my room, it's I'm listening to them. I'm not really trying to tell them what's right or wrong from my sports psych perspective and trying to guide them through that experience. And for me as a young coach too, I think it's probably one of the more difficult things I have to do. And as a coach in general, I'm sure you can relate that when you have an answer, it's really easy to provide it, but sometimes just listening and guiding them in the right direction to find that answer on their own is uh, the more difficult thing to do. And I try to, that's how I try to uh, sort of apply my sports psych principles and not over consume them with uh, information that's more from the educational side. When you guys are, are coaching, obviously you're both pretty young, although Dan keeps referencing like his beta tapes and, and, <laughs> and all the technology that he didn't have, but both of you are still pretty young, right? Like obviously Dan at 40 and Liam at 30, whatever, three, I guess, 32. Uh, do you find that you have to coach a bit differently because you're younger versus like, you know, you don't have that like old school kind of like, obviously like you come from a, a background where you've had old school coaches i'm sure but like does that resonate as well if you're like in your early 30s can you can you pull that off or do you find you have to kind of like tailor your approach a bit because of your age or because oh, of the really? players because obviously you're, you're dealing with young players now too so you can't just yell at them and expect them to listen really neat question uh for me personally I, like i think i have to coach to more importantly to who i am uh over age but i think it's certainly a factor and um it changes your coaching style as a young person i just believe it's a little bit easier for me to connect with our student athletes uh being that close in age so um making sure that i'm connecting in that way still with them is important i'm not distancing myself too far and just allowing that to flow dan i think it helps it does help uh, that's what i found at first i i was scared a little bit because i realized you know you're going to be coaching some guys that are almost your age but at the same time you know staying true to yourself who you are uh and 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 really the one thing uh it whichever age you are or they are it's all about communication and making sure that you connect with them every single day that's the one thing that changed the most where back in the days it was more of a the coach haven't talked to me in a week so i guess that's great you know no news good news where you know it's something you, you want to stay away from now you want to make sure you connect with every single guy every single day and uh, you know it doesn't matter if you're 40 or 50 uh, i don't think that the, the, the you know being the the, the, the hard approach is going to work anymore it's really about telling them the the, the the why behind everything you want them to do it would be unjust if we didn't ask patrick the same thing because i suspect that the psychological approach to you working with your athletes quite frankly is even tougher because the, the, they don't predict, they don't necessarily see the direct decision making that you have to make with respect to their ability to play. How do you deal with yes. that? Uh, actually, like even even worse than Dan, they're not close to age; they're older sometimes. <laughs> it's quite funny. Uh, but like at the end of the day, when you deal with a player, it doesn't really matter about your age. It's uh, the personal relationship that you can create with that person. And you're expecting, as a like as a coach, I'm not like the coach on the ice, like you guys. As a coach, you have expectation for them, and at the same time, they're exp they're expecting on their side for you to provide guidance in your area. So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to be as professional as I can, and having a personal relationship with each player. So in that case, it's a lot easier to make him 
work very hard but also make the work enjoyable because at the end of the day if you don't enjoy your work and you don't put another percent well the result won't be there very nice okay now back to the hot seat patrick you got a you got a question for liam i do have a question i do have multiple questions but go I'm for gonna, it man i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna start with you talk about like uh coaching about who you are and like starting from your own value and i know it's super important for you and I would say the word probably stopped in the last like eight months. What have you learned the most about yourself? <laughs> and not necessarily about like your coaching style or anything like that. I'm talking about like generally broadly, what have you learned about yourself? Really good question. Can you guys hear the drilling in the background? Yes. Is it? It was, it, it was that good of a question, huh? It was that good of a question. Okay. The drilling stopped. Um, PDH, awesome question. Uh, in terms of what I've learned maybe about myself most is just it, it's amazing what you can do when you have to do it and uh, operating for me I, I really learned that operating through chaos and through adverse situations if you're calm collected and work your way through it uh, and, and are patient in that in that process that you've set forth and the plan that you've done that things will work out and you know everything's going to be all right and uh, we, I mean, we obviously had an, an adverse season this year and we managed an extremely difficult time uh, as a group. And I think our guys were still able to grow and continue to develop not only as hockey players this season, but as people, uh, most importantly. And we, we've spoken about that and that development piece where if we're developing that person individually, uh, not only on the ice, but in the classroom as well, then they're going to be better on the ice too and it's going to be better for our hockey team more patrick sure if you give, if you give me more time i'm gonna spend the uh, okay so well, let me let me fill in the blank here then you you mentioned that mike one of my bigger concerns for you and for the the team is that uh, managing the uh, experience of the first year student athlete uh, they don't get exactly the stuff that you all have been talking about. They don't necessarily get that same kind of camaraderie, that dressing room uh, rapport that, you, that that really builds on the connectivity. How are you dealing with that, and how are you keeping them? How are you keeping them excited and, and involved in the program when you don't have a program? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's certainly a, a difficulty, or as Pat would say, it's not a difficulty; it's a challenge, and. Uh, in terms of the in-person experience that McGill offers and some of the memories that uh, that Dan, Shauna, and Pat have shared, they're going to have that opportunity here in the coming year. Um, right now, it's basically compartmentalizing and working with them through the academic side of things, making sure that they have all the needs and requirements to do well and uh, achieve highly within their uh, studies but also working to bring them together. We've actually, we've had some first year meetings and they've gone really well and trying to bring these guys together just as a group on their own, I find is a critical piece. So uh, that's one thing we need to continue to do is just develop that first year student athlete cohort as a group themselves and make sure that they're integrating together. And yet you're not able to do the performance coaching that you're going to need to do once you get into competition. What are your apprehensions about effectively developing a closer uh shall we call it coaching or mentoring or relationship based on academia where you're effectively supporting and partnering and perhaps guiding to a good degree to where you need to start calling the shots and calling them out with respect to performance yeah it well it's hard to even evaluate performance at this time with many of our student athletes only being able to train within their own homes um so that's that's really not a main priority for us right now in assessing performance yeah yeah i'm saying what i'm what i'm saying is that there i can anticipate that there there's gonna there's gonna come moments where you're gonna have to make tough decisions on them with respect to performance and a lot of your first year guys are going to actually really appreciate what you're building with them right now and all of a sudden you got to get tough and 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 they're, and they're going to maybe have to sit and yet their second year and uh and yet they looked at you and thought you were such a great guy last year and this year you're making me sit right i mean i'm trying to think of how a 20 year old would be looking at that and i'm thinking okay good when i'm dealing with him now how am i preparing myself for that or how am i maintaining that and i can also say why 
you're you are a young coach as you say you're you are definitely older than they are a, a good decade now so that's a good fortune uh and but you're not moving directly from playing with them anymore to coaching them which is a a, a bonus yes it's still there you're you're the type of coaching you're doing now with them not the type of coaching you're doing when you're doing the drive for the for the uh for the championship for example and what are your thoughts on that okay um i, I think i understand the question uh in in terms of as it relates to next season and mm. student athletes getting within within hockey games is that correct Yes, you're good. So, for example, I don't know what I don't know how many people you've got involved in the hockey program right now, but I know over the last few years, you've had guys with good experience in in hockey, good junior major experience in hockey, coming in his first year and not being starters. Okay, yeah. and that's tough. You haven't had you haven't lost too many. Although I recall one captain going back home, not necessarily hockey related, related a junior major captain going back home. It wasn't a McGillian, but he wasn't playing. Okay, and so here you are in a in a situation where the uh, one can afford to be, a, shall we say, a nice guy, a congenial guy, a guy who's helping them go forward and become excellent students and really good trainers on an individual training on an individual basis. But then you got to turn around and say, sorry, sorry, bud, but uh, you're not going to be able to play this this game, and and I've got to give you some tough feedback with respect to where you fit within our our team. Yet you've had a, a 12 to 14 month relationship with them as a student student athlete yeah certainly well i i certainly don't think a student athlete not playing in a game uh, should impact the relationship that i have with them uh, the relationship comes first and the development process is different for each player and undoubtedly we always have student athletes that sit out a certain game and i think the most important piece for me in, in the way that i approach things is that we sit down and we discuss the details of why that student athlete isn't playing and walking them through their own performance development plan to get them back in the lineup and making sure that it's a continuous learning opportunity uh, rather than a situation where they feel like they're being neglected uh, because they're not in a certain game and um, in any process it's not linear and uh, for our first year student athletes that time will will come for them uh, and it may not because uh, their their goals right now and as we've been speaking with them is that you know they want to play and they want to push for their spots in the lineup and undoubtedly their work ethic their preparation will provide them those opportunities and we will adjust as a coaching staff and make sure that we have those tough conversations with our players bravo thank you very much well answered any other ones guys actually i do <laughs> uh, it's it's very it was very uh, interesting, Liam, and like it's fun on the call. We got like Ken, who's like basically the Miguel coach of like everybody's talking all the time with Martin Ramon because they've been with like alumni with the team for so long. No offense, Dan. We got like a great, great pass captain, Dan Jacob, assistant coach, and I know how passionate about he is about Miguel. And every time he comes back to the summer tournament, he's always like in there and he loves it. He's a real <laughs> Miguelian. Shauna is like a pure McGillian as well, captain. I don't know if you have you. Well, Liam has been in her apartment, but like I've been there too. And there's probably McGill sign and McGill photo all over the place, and it's amazing. The McGill cup as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, I would like, uh, and personally, I know you very well, and I know you're a true McGillian, so hard. And but I would like you to describe what it is for you, a McGill hockey student athlete defining a McGill hockey student athlete? Yeah. Really good question. Um, I think a McGill student athlete is defined by their their day-to-day -day habits. And uh, I think if we break those down into silos, you've got, um, you've got the athlete and uh, someone who's driven and passionate about the game, just as all three of you are. And you've got a student and that student component is a piece where they don't necessarily have to be the brightest person in the world to come to McGill. They just have to be a fourth line grinder in that aspect. They just have to want to get better and continue to develop academically. And then you've got the person themselves. So the social aspect there and that social aspect and character is a critical component of a McGill student athlete. And um, first and foremost, I believe they have to be good people who are highly motivated and people that want to 
be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think in that recruitment process, walking through with that person, what their previous life experiences are, getting to know who their family and role models and, uh, and their future career goals is a super important piece to me, determining if they'll be a solid fit as a McGill student athlete. And I, I think with those three pillars of uh, what a McGill student athlete is, you uh, give yourself an opportunity uh, to become of something bigger than yourself. And that's our Redmond Hockey family and alumni. Thank you. Absolutely outstanding response, uh, Liam. That's a great Thank answer. you very much. It absolutely is. Uh, and it leads me to our wrap here, which is a lot of the player, a lot of the student athletes, a lot of the players are going to be listening to this. What would you like to say to them? Okay, as McGill hockey graduates, as McGillians, uh, what's your message you want to pass on to them? Embrace your time at McGill because then you, you know, you, 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 you want to. You want to accomplish everything so fast and then you realize once you graduate that you would you would have liked to stay there for another five years so embrace uh, every single day uh, embrace the grind you know it's you know it's not it's not easy but it's it's so worth it thank you shauna yeah it's actually not really dissimilar from what dan just said is to enjoy every moment of it i think you know say yes to opportunities take advantage of what mcgill has to offer because there's a ton out there beyond just what you'll get on the ice. So even for this year, you know, you're not playing, but there's still a lot that McGill has to offer. So just take advantage of it. Take advantage of your network. That's one of the strongest things that I've seen since graduating is just how strong the McGill connection is. You know, meeting people who you've never met before, but they have this connection to you because they went to McGill, they played hockey there. Like take advantage of, of every opportunity. Beautiful, thank you. Patrick? Well, I think they, uh, they said very well, like enjoy it, be passionate and be involved. Like every time, like enjoy, enjoy every day, enjoy, like be passionate what you do either on the ice or off the ice in your studies and work at it, work at it. Good things will happen at the end of the day. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, you have been superb and uh, even beyond what my expectations were, quite frankly, with respect to the quality of individual that I've got on this call. Uh, it, I mean, my wife says all the time, I've, I've worked at, studied at, taught at, researched at five different universities in Canada. And we've gone back and, so, and won national championship with, uh, with Waterloo. Uh, so, and we've gone back to each of those universities, but my wife says, no, 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 no. We go back to the McGill, <laughs> to the McGill <laughs> activities or events. Okay. They're my favorite people. And she, of course she doesn't know you guys at all, except for through our alumni events and uh, and uh, just the quality of individuals that we've got in our program. And as you said, Shauna, the quality of our of our network, it, it, it's it's mind blowing. Uh, here I am sitting in Poland. And the, the reason I stayed at McGill, when I stayed at McGill as a part-time student and a doctorate student at University of Montreal, uh, was because a fellow by the name of David Johnson phoned me up at 1130 in, at night and made me an offer and said, let me talk with you every month and be your men and mentor. And, I'm, and, and so he, as a GG of Canada, for the first time ever comes into Poland and, and calls me up and I have lunch in the middle of a big, uh, with him in the middle of a big uh, presentation. And all he wants to do is talk hockey. That's all he wants to do. He was a major supporter for us. He used to play in our alumni games. He used to, when he couldn't, I didn't want to play anymore. He would whistle them. He'd referee them. He'd enjoy them absolutely thoroughly. And uh, and he still remembers them and he remembers all the people too. And this is a McGillian. And so are all of you. And you wear it proudly and I'm so proud of that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Liam, we wish you all the best uh, going forward. Uh, such, quite frankly, my, <laughs> You're, you're in such a tough situation uh, for the second year in a row, but uh, with, the, with the responses that you're giving and, and the well thought out answers, our program's in good hands. Thank you. Thanks, Thank man. you all. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks, and so as we like to say at the end of this podcast is I, we wish you all well, stay safe, stay vigilant, keep your elbows up and your stick on the ice. Mm -hmm.